turn to Romans, the eighth chapter, and we're going to begin here. And, and maybe a very familiar verse of Scripture to some people. I know one of our presidents a few years back, I believe, quoted this verse when he, uh, during his inauguration, you know, and I mean a few presidents ago, and, um, or, you know, a few years back anyway. But this verse, just when, as I was praying, we've been talking about a new reality. Because how many of you know there are different realities in this earth? There is a true reality, and it comes from God and what's in the Bible, but not everything here is the ultimate reality. And we read different things, you know, from the Bible that talk about this. And we know this. If you're a believer, you know this. You can talk to people, and there will be people who say, I know the Lord, and other people say, I don't know him. And is God real? Yeah, but is he real to them? No. Is it a reality to us? It can be and should be. And, and it's not just what's written, but we're talking about a reality, knowing the Lord Jesus and knowing different things. There are realities that are written in the Bible, and sometimes people think this book is just for arguing and stuff like that, but it's a really a book of reality. It really shows us something that we don't always see, and so there are realities in here that should be real to us. In other words, there might be things in this book that are not real to other people, but when they die, and when anybody dies then they'll know what is real and what was real. And it doesn't matter, like, you know, people have said in the past, there are no atheists that are in hell. Somebody said, well, I don't believe in hell. It doesn't matter if you believe in hell. If it is real, it's real. Is there an unseen world? People recognize there are unseen forces at work all the time. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There are things that push to do wrong. And there are unseen forces. And people are familiar, even people who live wrong. There's different lifestyles people live wrong. And when they're quiet and to themselves, they recognize something's not right with this. Different lives and lifestyles that people say, this is acceptable, this is good, this is okay some of the greatest suicide rate in the world, percentage-wise. And you know if you talk to those people, and I've talked to different people who live in sin and live wrong, they're just when they get by themselves, they recognize something's not right. I remember this. I was Mr. Party when I was in the world. And I, you know, was just lived how I wanted to live, did what I wanted to do. One of my neighbors would go to parties, and there'd be a hundred and something people there, and he never drank. And he never partied, never smoked, never did anything. So he was like the only one, it seemed like, at the party who didn't do everything or anything. And he knew me, and we grew up together. And I remember I'd be just so messed up, and you'd run, I'd run into him. And I remember one time saying to him, hey, whatever you do, and I'm like the cool guy, or at least in my own imagination. Uh, I said, don't do this. This is stupid. Don't get started. See, I knew down here, but the whole world's pointing and saying, do this and live this way and go this way and this is good. 
But I even recognized what everybody was celebrating was not the ultimate reality of fulfillment in life and destiny. And I would go to bed at night thinking, there's got to be more to life. But you don't express that to your friends because that's not a conversation. Maybe girls do that, but at least the guys I know didn't do that because you got it all together, you know. And so you're not thinking, this, this isn't good. But we did have conversations about God. But what we had, everybody thought, this is great. But it wasn't the reality that I was looking for. And you can never be fulfilled with a false reality or something you count as real that it is not. There is no fulfillment apart from God and his things. And so we've been talking about a new reality, or really we could say it this way, the true reality. The Bible said that the whole world is blinded, or those who do not believe are blinded in 2 Corinthians 4, from the gospel light or the truth. So people can be told, but they can be blinded. And you could be telling them something that's awesome, that's real, but it's just not real to them. And But is it real? Yes. It is real. The Bible is real, and it can become real to you. And so we've been talking about this, this new reality or the real reality. And so here in 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Romans 8, I'm going to read a verse of Scripture, and we're going to talk about this. And this is really uh, for every believer. This is something we need to know, and we need to learn how to cooperate with. Do you know that these realities that are in the Word of God must be cooperated with? Or they don't always come to pass in your life. Salvation has been paid for for every man in the earth. There's not one person, Adolf Hitler, it matters not, that Jesus died for. And I know there's people who get so angry and say, well, this person deserves to go to hell. They did this to my family. You see those people on the news? They killed my little kid. They did this. They did this. They deserve to go. Everybody deserves to go to hell. But Jesus paid for everybody to go to heaven. But to connect with that reality, you must line up with what the Scripture says. Or it will not become a reality to you, and then you'll just live on your life the way it is. But how do we connect with that reality? Because it is real. I remember a friend of mine, I'd witnessed to him and talked to him after I gave my life to the Lord. He was one of my closest friends. We're still good friends. And I'd say, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to give your life to Jesus. And I think he was probably thinking, dude, you got somewhere to go? But finally, after months and months and months, he, he, God started dealing with his heart and he thought, you know, I really need to do something with my life. And he had been talking to his girlfriend about it. They're now married. And they said, yeah, just stuff's not right. I just, we just need to do something. And so he turned on Christian TV right at the time the guy said, if you don't know Jesus, bow down right now, bow your head. So he just went, okay, and knelt in front of the TV and prayed with the guy. And he said this, because he tried to call me and he couldn't get a hold of me. And he was, then he's like frustrated because now he's wanting to talk to me about it. And he said, it was like somebody came in me. 
he said it was like something happened. I just, there was such a change. But it was not that, that was not a reality to him until he cooperated with what the Bible said, which is believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. And he cooperated, and then the reality came. And there are realities in the Bible beyond salvation for every believer. And God wants them to be real. He didn't want us just to argue. I mean, I can argue with you all day long. I make better this than you make it. And then you could walk up, someone else could walk up and say, no, my mom makes that better than you make it. And we can all sit there and argue, but the ultimate test is eat. Eat it. Put it down and let's taste, and then we all know what the reality is. Well, I guess I don't make stuff like I thought I did, because she did better. But then it becomes real, and we know. And God doesn't want us just to have Scripture as something we argue or something like that. It needs to be reality, and He wants it to be experiential and reality to us. So right here in Romans 8.31, it says, it says this, And what then shall we say to these things? Notice how it starts. What shall we say to these things? What we say about things is crucial. And he said, what then shall we say about these things? Now, if you read in the context before and after, you'll see he talked about demon powers, tests and trials, poverty coming against every ill that is known to humanity coming against humanity. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. He said, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us. And this is not a question. This is more of a statement of God being for us. And if you read the context, you'll see that God is for us. Jesus is for us. He's on our side. And he said this, if God is for us, you could say, and he is, who can be against us? Who, or you could say it like this, what can be against you or what can succeed against you? What can win against you? And if you read, it's really everything that opposes your life that is not from God. What can be successful against you if God is for you? Now read the next verse. He said, he who did not spare his own son. Why did Jesus die? Why did God not spare his son? Because he was for man. That's why he gave his son, because he was for man. So God is for man. And so if he's for man, surely he's for the ones who have received him. And he said this, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all, not most, all things? So when he gave his son, he just didn't give his son. He gave us everything we'd ever need. But then he makes this statement, if he's for you, who can be against you? But here's the thing. Notice these verses talk about God being for us. 
we need to understand God is for us in everything in life. This is really giving God's viewpoint on something. But the problem isn't, is God for us? The problem is, what is your viewpoint about it? How do you look at people? How do you look at circumstances? How do you look at things that come? How do you look at the devil when he tests you? Some people look at the devil and what they do is think he's super powerful. Some people look at their boss and say, well, you know, I could never do this because my boss... Or I could never go here because of this. Or I could never do this because of this. And what they're basically doing is saying, if God be for me, nobody could be against me except this or that. You with me? And he basically names all kinds of things that can't be against us. I had an experience with this, and I've told this story uh, before. But years ago, um, I was uh, driving in my work truck, and I made more money than anybody in the company, you know, other than the two owners. And I knew I could make more money and should make more money, and I had been praying about it. And I thought, I'm going to trust God, and he'll deal with the people. And one day, you know, you've ever had those days where you just kind of clear the stuff aside and go, hey. Listen, God. And I said, I still remember where I was driving. I said, Lord, I know I should be making more money. I know I should be making more money. I've prayed about this and nothing has happened. And he dealt with me inside. It felt like somebody socked me, actually. I went, ugh. And he spoke to me and, he, and then he showed me something. He reminded me of a conversation I had had with some people about the owner of the company. I knew the owner, and he uh, knew me, and I knew some of his friends. And one day, uh, we had been talking, and this one friend of his often would say the owner's name and say he's tight with his money. And I'd never say it. And then one day, he said it again, and I think I was at the lake, and I'd run into this guy. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, so on. And just casually just said, he's tight with his money. And I just said, yeah, he's tight with his money. That's all I said. And then when I was driving, the Lord brought that conversation back to me. Here I am supposed to be believing God's for me. And saying, Lord, you deal with him to give me money, but here I'm saying, he's tight with his money. How tight is somebody compared to God's dealings? What if we always say, well, the world just doesn't want God anymore. They're just not open here in the United States. If God is for us, who can be against us? God can deal with them stronger than they're opposed to him. But if we say, nah, they're just, they just won't, they can't hear, then basically we're saying their ways, their will, who they are is greater than the God we serve. And uh, 
I know this, God can deal with them. But here's what happened. That day I just said, oh, Lord, forgive me. I was wrong. I believe you're greater than his tightness. I said that. And then I said, forgive me for saying that. I believe you're greater than that. And it wasn't two days, and he called me on the phone and said, I want to give you more money. And I didn't say, praise the Lord. I just said, uh, all right, sounds good. But when I got done, I said, I'm sorry, Lord. You know, I knew better. But sometimes people don't realize that though God is for us, what are we adding to that? Notice this in Malachi, and we'll come back, I believe, right here. Malachi is an interesting set of scriptures. Malachi 3, it's the very last book in the Old Testament. And um, most people are familiar with Malachi 3 because, you know, it talks about tithes and offerings. So people, people you know, read, read it when they receive tithes and offerings. But the whole book is very interesting because the book is written in a uh, God having a conversation and giving the responses that man has given. And uh, if God is for us, who can really withstand God? Who can withstand him? Another way to say it, what could withstand him? But what if I speak harsh against it? And say stuff like, well, this thing right here, nobody ever gets healed of this. I, you know, or, or, you know, you just, maybe God wants me to have this. Or, you know, God sends tests and trials. He doesn't, but people say that. And they'll just say, you know, I don't know what God's trying to teach me in this. And they say stuff that's not appropriate. They don't believe God's greater. They think God is the source. And we serve a good God but people have a viewpoint that he's not good. How could we say he's a good God and then, he, then he's trying to do bad to us? It says, if he is for us and he is, what or who could be against us? You could say it like this, successfully. Notice this, and this is, to me, very interesting. Now remember, in this book, as you read, God will say stuff like he had asked them before, he had told him, he's talked about tithing and giving offerings and stuff. And he said, God said, you've robbed me. And then the people responded and say, what way have we robbed you? You're not robbing this church, you're robbing God. And he said, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. And, and he said, therefore, it's open to curse on your life. And so he goes through this, and then he talks about turning the curse and getting this blessing flowing in their life by being obedient. So as we finish that, we come to this section right here. Malachi 3.13. It says, now this is one of those God talking and this response. Your words, verse 13, have been harsh against me. Now this is God saying this about these people. Really, my words back then were harsh Really, they were harsh against God, but they never were personally against God. What, what, how, you say, how do you, what are you trying to say? Well, I just said, you know, like if we believe the economy. 
well, you know, this economy is going down. You just, you just can't make it. If God be for you, who can be against you? But if you talk and magnify your lack in the economy, your lack will grow because you're believing the economy is greater than God and his ability. And if God be for you, who can be against you? And so here, my words, before I read this, were harsh against God because I said, he's tight. Well, I should have said, he might be tight, but he ain't tighter than my God. Well, you know, it's flu season, and everybody, I'm the first one always to get the flu. If God be for you, who can be against you? But if you're declaring that you're always the first one to get it, you're not believing God is greater than that. You're believing that you get it first. And you know what happens? That person normally gets it first. Praise the Lord. Still the truth. Notice this in in the 13th verse. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? I never never said anything against you, God. I never did. That's what they're saying. Wait a minute. Harsh words. He said, your words are harsh against me. You say, yet you say, What have we spoken against you? Notice verse 14. You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances and have walked as mourners? In other words, we were sober with our life. We we weren't wild and crazy before the Lord of hosts. Verse 15. So now we call the proud blessed and those who do wicked are raised up, and they even tempt God and go free. Basically, what he's saying is what was spoken against him was, we're doing what's right, and we're not getting ahead. The wicked people are doing wrong, and they're getting ahead. God said, that's harsh against me. We, we do what we're supposed to do, and everybody else is being blessed. These people who do wrong, they never get punished. God said, that's harsh against me. That's an interesting thought. Why? Because when we're talking about them getting away with stuff and how they're prospering, but we're not talking about what he said or cooperating with what he said, if we do it, God's for us, nobody can successfully or nothing can successfully defeat you. Nothing. And so what's interesting is this, and as I was getting ready, it just seemed so true, that the issue of God being for us needs to be settled in our heart. But what we need to recognize is though God is for us, and He's on our side as believers, it's not always just a matter of is He for us, but are we connected with it? You with me? Are we connected with it? Because some people say, well, you know, I just don't know if God's for me and stuff like that. He is for us. But remember, there's you and there's God. It's interesting if you read the Bible, in the Old Testament in different places, even in the New Testament, it said because of people's unbelief, Jesus couldn't do certain miracles in Matthew 12 and Mark 6. In the Old Testament, it said they limited 
the Holy One of Israel. We need to understand God is powerful and all-powerful, but can he be limited? Oh, absolutely he can. Somebody say, well, I don't like that. It doesn't matter. In other words, can we limit him saving us? Yeah, I'm just not going to believe it, and I'm not going to accept it. So we limit his ability to work in my life in that area, but does it work in other areas? Well, when I repented and said, sorry, Lord, I spoke those words, he talked to a whole group of people that were saying, man, it'd be better for us just not to keep these ordinances and keep this stuff because it doesn't pay off. And sometimes that conversation is not to God, but it's here, but God sees our words. You know, the Bible, Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, every idle word that proceeds out of your mouth, you will give an account for on the day of judgment. Every one of them. What's wild is we don't normally talk like that. We say, well, don't do that sinful thing because he'll see it on that day. He said every idle word or empty word. Those those are Jesus' words. And so we should understand that words are like money. We spend them all the time. Amen? But God is for us, and we need to recognize that. Notice this in Romans. Well, I'm going to read this verse. Romans, the fifth chapter. God is for us, and we need to remember that. God is for you. And it doesn't just mean he's for you. You know, I've told this story before. It's been a long time. But when I lived in the world, uh, I had some different friends. That one I was talking about, you know, it was real close at... Uh, bowed down and the Lord came in him. He was there at this time, but he had taken someone. A fight broke out with some friends and some different things, and a guy came behind me and uh, hit me in the face with a motorcycle helmet, then kicked me when I was down, smashed my teeth out, just, just did serious damage. I had a friend there in the parking lot that did nothing. He was with me, but he forsook me. I jumped in to help another friend, but he just stood there. And I wonder if sometimes when we say, God's for us, it's like he's like, yeah, I'm for you. And then you go to put in your fist, you know, to fight in life, and he's like, I'm for you. No, he wants to do something. He wants you to prevail and win. And so here in Romans 5 is an interesting verse of Scripture, but it's awesome. Some things you need to get stuck in you like gum on your shoe. Wherever you go, it gets in the carpet of your car. Great. You get home, it gets there, and it's just, it gets, this needs to get in you. Romans 5, verse 8 and 9. Notice this. Um, It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. This is his love, not our love. He demonstrates it to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified, which literally means to be set right, or like you never sinned. How could it be that you could be before God like you never sinned? That's almost unfathomable. By your own ability, it really is. But notice he said, been justified, how? By his blood we shall be saved from wrath, or literally the word is judgment, through him or through Jesus. We are kept from God's anger and judgment 
because we have Jesus. That's why he's for us. His blood has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and from all sin. And so if God is for us, then how can I cooperate with him so I can see him work in every area of my life? Here's a huge thing. Turn to 1 John 3, and we're going to close with these verses. 1 John 3. One thing we need to know is this. God is for me. God is for me and wants to work on my behalf. God wants to work on your behalf. God wants to work on your behalf as much as he wants to work on anybody's behalf. We need to recognize that. God is no respecter of persons. Peter knew that. In the book of Acts, the, the, the early apostles, you know, they were all Jewish converts. Jews believed they were better than Gentiles because we were not covenant people, in other words, non-Jewish people, and we were actually considered unclean. Jesus, remember, loving Jesus? One day a lady came that was not a Jew. She was a Samaritan woman and said, I, I want to be healed. And Jesus said to her, oh, I just love everybody. Come here, honey. I pray for you. He didn't say that. He called her a dog. He said, so it's not right to take what belongs to the children and give it to dogs. A lot of people would be offended at Jesus right about there. You know, I'm taking off my what would Jesus do bracelet and that's it. I'm done. <laughs> what would Jesus do? He called him a dog. In other words, he said, you're not a Jewish person. You're of the Gentiles. They were considered dogs. Us who he came to die for. He said, you, he said, it's not right to take what belongs to the children and give it to a dog. How would you like that if you come down for, for prayer? You know, because normally you pray for people down front. I said, what do you want, you dog? And you're like, oh, leaving this church, I'm so offended. Call me a dog. Jesus did, and the woman did not get offended at all. She just said, Oof. She said, yes, Lord, that's true. She knew that their viewpoint of non-Jewish people was they're not the people. And so she didn't get all bent out of shape. And that could help people walking with God to not get out of shape. And so she said, she put her paws up and said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And she, he said, for this saying, your daughter's healed. Go in peace. He said, I don't need the bread that belongs to the children. You give me a crumb. She didn't say, I'm not this or I'm that. How could you call me this? We need to understand Jesus is for us, but what about our approach to him? What about our approach to him? First John, what about our approach to him? God is for us. He was sent to those people, but salvation is for all people. I said it's for all people. Our approach is important. Notice this in 1 John 3, verse 21. Though he is for all, does it matter about how you are to him? Can how you are toward him make all the difference in the world? He can be for you, but are you right toward him? 
That's a good question to ask. He's all-powerful, so, so why do, but here's what's happened is people who haven't read the Bible or had an experience in their life have said, well, he's all-powerful, you know, and if he just wants to do it, he'll do it, and if he don't, he won't. And then we've put it all back on God's hands when we've never put it in God's hands when it comes to salvation. We've always put it in the individual's hands and said Jesus did something about it. And so though it's paid for for all people, how do I cooperate? These verses right here tell us. And sometimes people, you know, you can get stubborn or like what you're doing more than the pain of making a change. But if God is for, is, is God only for half of the Christians? He's for all of them. Every one of them. Me, you, and equally for me as he is for you. Somebody said, yeah, he is more for Paul, though. No, he is equally for all believers. He died evenly for all believers. But the issue is, though he's for all, my, my receiving from him is going to take my heart. It's going to take my heart. And I have, here's, you know, we were talking about a new reality. Here is a reality that everybody knows in here that's saved. Everybody knows where they're at with God to a degree. Everyone. Everyone. The Bible said there is no child of God in Hebrews 12 that is without being dealt with by God. So God could deal with me to do something, and if I... Now, I'm not talking an audible voice, just something I know. And I say, yeah, and I do it. Or I say, no, and don't. I have my own reality right there. I know where I'm at inside. I could smile at you. I could wave. I could do all kinds of things. But I have something real inside of me that I know. I know what God's dealt with me about. And either I'm doing it or I'm not. But that's me. Though God is for me, this is me. Can that inside of me affect how I receive God's work in my life? Notice this in 1 John 3. Now remember, I'm reading the Bible, so don't get mad at me. Right? This is is Bible. I just don't like this. Well, it's Bible. And here's the thing. If we want the reality of God being for us and we see it demonstrated in our lives, we need to cooperate with it. Not be mad at it. Cooperate with it. Not fight against it. Not argue about it. Go with it. 1 John 3, notice this in verse 21. Now, what had happened was he was talking about people obeying and walking in love and, and talked about people who didn't obey what they knew. And that could be true in any area. If we, Even though God is for us, do I have a role in this? 
Do I have to have such great faith that God's for me? Or do I just need to cooperate? Maybe I don't need greater faith. Maybe I just need my heart to be assured. Notice this, and, and if the word is true that I've been forgiven, I'm in good standing, my heart is assured. But notice this in verse 20, 21. It says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Notice he's for us, but if my heart does not condemn me, I have confidence toward God. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say if God condemns you. Notice it doesn't say if the devil condemns you. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation from God to those who are in Christ. Revelation, the 12th chapter, talks about how the enemy brings condemning accusations. Romans 8 also talks about it. So we're not talking about being condemned by the devil. And we're not talking about being condemned by God. And we're not talking about being condemned by your family for serving the Lord. And them saying, you're doing the stupidest thing you've ever done in your life. We're not talking about any outward condemnation or saying, you're not in good place. You're not this. This has to do with you internally. Notice what he said. He said, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Notice verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Notice he said your heart can be in a place where it condemns you, or it can be in a place where you're not condemned. Now, I'm not talking about living in a guilt trip. I'm not talking about that because some people just have a poor self-image and they just don't know that God's for them and so they got all this stuff in their head and they're just so cluttered with it. I'm talking about something where you know way down inside, I'm not doing right. Or I'm in good standing. People need to recognize the two because you can resist the condemnation, but you can't resist this. I resist this. You can't. I resist the condemnation. You ain't going to get it to flee if your heart, if you know you're doing wrong. But how quick is it to repent like that and just change up? It's the issue of will you and you can. Sometimes people just don't want to face the pain. What do I mean the pain? There's pain in serving God. Somebody said, I knew there was a catch. I don't mean pain like where you just, bad stuff happening. I'm talking about where your flesh goes, I want to be free. Like in Malachi where they said, they're free. They get to do whatever they want and they don't ever have problems and stuff like that. And they don't ever get a recompense of bad in their life and they're prospering. Now, there will come an ultimate day of reckoning, but those pleasures, you have to say when God deals with you about this or that to obey, and when you do and you set yourself to do it, your heart is right before the Lord. When your heart is right before the Lord, you have confidence toward Him. 
What does that mean? What does it look like? Now, remember, God is already for you, but now you've connected with confidence toward Him. What does that look like? Well, He tells you what it looks like in the very next verse. And, well, I'll read 21, then 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, in other words, I'm being obedient, we have confidence toward God. He's already for us. Now I have confidence toward Him. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Obedience and having successful walk, a successful walk with God cannot be separated. Somebody said, are you saying you have to work for this? No. But what I'm saying is it's been provided for in Christ. But my, if my heart condemns me, and I'm not talking about condemnation from God because it never comes. God does not condemn us. Read Romans 8. He justified us or set us right. So it's not an outward condemnation. It's an inward collapse that needs to be fixed. So how can I fix it? I need to pray a lot. No, you don't have to pray a lot. Well, I better... Better do a lot of good works to fix. No, you don't have to do a bunch of good works. All you have to do is obey the thing you know. That thing you know, if you do it, it'll just like put the foundation in your heart. There will be no more collapse. There'll be no more condemnation inside. All there will be is inward confidence toward God. Then what will happen is you'll find out, man, my faith is starting to work. 